Word of God tonight. The book of Acts in the chapter 13, please. The book of Acts in the chapter 13. We're going to break into the chapter at the verse 14. As you find there, it would be worth your while also preparing yourself then to turn to the book of 1 Samuel in the chapter 17. 1 Samuel in the chapter 17. But nevertheless, we take our primary reading from the book of Acts in the chapter 13 to begin with. Acts chapter 13, beginning our reading end in the verse 14. But when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them, saying, Ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand, said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave them on, or he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of Kis a man of the tribe of Benjamin by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. To him also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, uh, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus." When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, and as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me, whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is the word of this salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning them. And though they find no cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead." And he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again. As it is also written in the second Psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation, by the will of God, fell on sleep 
and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he, whom God raised again, saw no corruption. And in our reading there, in the verse 37. Now we're coming, of course, to consider the next in our Bible covenants, and that being the Davidic covenant. But last week we began to survey a little bit of the context uh, that was prevalent even at that time, a little understanding of what was ongoing in the nation of Israel at the time that God delivered this covenant onto His servant David. We also then sought to understand a little bit more, not only about the history of the nation of Israel, but also about the character David. Who was he? What kind of man was he? What kind of leader, what kind of king was he as he sought to fulfill that which God had ordained him to? And surely as we come to Scripture and read through from the beginning to the end, we understand very readily that David is a central character to Scripture. He is someone who is often referred to. He is someone indeed often quoted as we make our way through Scripture. And so he wasn't, as it were, just a flash in the pan, just someone who lived his life and then passed away and was forever gone. No, he is someone who is central to the unfolding drama of redemption contained in the Word of God, but also to God's plan, even as revealed in His Word and as we progressively see it from beginning to end. And so as we come back to consider a little bit more in the life of David, we come to 1 Samuel in chapter 17. We're seeking to pick up where we left off last uh, Tuesday evening in the will of the Lord. But we do so with a little hesitation, I have to confess. Because whilst it may uh, be true to say that the Lord did indeed bless our thoughts and our studies last week as we entered in, it isn't true to say that we can automatically guarantee that it will be the same this evening. And so coming back to a message that has been started already is not always a favorite thing to do, but nevertheless, I believe it to be according to the will of God, and so we trust Him to bless it to our hearts this week as He did last week. And so may He lead us and guide us in these things. But coming back to our point that we raise, the first point of three lessons, the first of three lessons that we learn from the life of David, that faith not force wins a day. That's the point that we're seeking to establish in the life of David. Remember, we're now on the battlefield in the valley of Elah, as David stands before the great giant Goliath. This one who has come with the army of the Philistines and found himself encamped on the one side, and there across the valley the hosts of Israel also assemble. Day by day he has gone out and challenged the armies of Israel to send forth one who would be able to go toe-to-toe, hand-to-hand with him in the battlefield. And the challenge has been issued that he who would prevail in that moment, well, he it would be then who would see that his nation, his people, would rule and reign over the other people. The loser, his nation, his people, his army, would be the servants then of the victor. David comes to the battlefield as his father sends him with a parcel to deliver to his brethren who are part of the army of Israel. They're numbered amongst the forces who stand and hear this challenge issued time after time, day after day. And as David comes to the battlefield that day, you'll remember, of course, that he hears very audibly that which is shouted from the mouth of the Philistine. And so as he comes to the battlefield that day and he hears these words, remember his heart, his soul is stirred within him. He says, is there not a cause? God is being defied here. 
The people of God are being made a mockery of here. Someone needs to take a stand. And David felt within him a stirring as God put his finger upon his heart and said, David, you're that man. You're the one who must take this stand. I have proved to you in days gone past that I can deliver you from the hand of the bear. I can preserve you in times of difficulty. And I will prove once more to you today that I am able to deliver. This was something that David himself was convinced of. For as Saul sought to even pass, as it were, over his uh, weapons, his instruments of warfare, David said these words, I have not proved them. Because he realized, remember, that in verse 45, as he says, Thou comest to me with sword and spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This battle wasn't the physical battle that everybody had their eyes upon. This battle was a spiritual battle. It could only be won by weapons of spiritual warfare. It could only be one as God imparted that which was needed and provided that assistance that was needed. And remember the principle then which corresponded into our lives and we were reminded that every battle we face is a spiritual one also. Oh, and how often we are reminded of the spiritual warfare. How often we see even those who would seek to oppose, seek to hinder, seek to hamper the work of God. And so we come face to face with spiritual conflict so readily, so easily in our lives and indeed in our world. The choice that we have to make is exactly the same as the choice that David had to make. We're going to fight relying on our own strength. We're going to fight relying on God's strength. And so the life of faith, one who seeks to follow after God, they choose faith. They trust God implicitly. They pray to God unceasingly. They walk with God unerringly. So as David is provided with weapons of warfare that find their place in Saul's armory, he casts them aside and he says, I choose faith. I'm not going to choose these battle are these man-made weapons. I'm going to choose faith every time. That's where we ended last week, and so we pick it up this evening. We're reminded through all of this that we face this choice in our lives. You all identify with this moment, no doubt. But if a response was required from each and every individual in this meeting tonight, a spectrum of responses, no doubt, would emerge. There are those tonight who would testify that they've tried the weapons of this world. And in employing such weapons in a spiritual warfare, they've faced constant and continual disappointment. To you, I would encourage you to learn the lesson of David. There are those who have decided in one moment to live the life of faith, but yet in another moment have chosen weapons of this world, tried to effect change by force. For you, life is a constant roller coaster full of ups and downs. The spiritual temperature of your heart is like a bouncy ball. One moment it's up and the next moment it's down. 
to you, I would say, learn the lesson of David. And then there are those who have chosen faith and chosen only faith. Implicitly, God will be trusted, and that is a decision that is nailed a mile deep in your soul. Nothing that comes to you will be faced with the weapons of this world. No schemes or plans will be put into place by your mind or by your ingenuity. No, for you it's a settled matter. The life of faith is always applied. Why? Because when one decides to put their faith in God and in God alone, it settles everything else. The Philistines came. The Philistines were intent and and on intimidation, on humiliation. They amassed as a mighty army on the one side of the valley. Day by day, they sent out this champion, this giant over nine feet tall. You looked at him and you saw his head was covered with a helmet of brass. Upon his shoulders hung a coat of mail, and he wore armor of brass upon his legs and down his back. In his hand, he carried a spear that was almost as tall as he was. And before him went a man bearing a massive shield. But David, remember, chose the faith life. He relied upon that which he had proved. He came before him wearing a simple tunic, a small belt with a shepherd's pouch attached, Five smooth stones inside that pouch. He carried in one hand a shepherd's staff. He carried in the other a leather sling. The contrast couldn't be any more striking. Goliath, the huge colossus that he was, bedecked from head to toe in a metal and in shining instruments, He himself is shocked as this little boy, as it were, emerges from the crowd. And his immediate response is simply this, am I a dog? You're but a boy, and I'm a mighty warrior. And so he begins to curse. David, with all my might and my power, with these fearsome weapons that are in my hand, I'm going to take you, and I'm going to rip you to shreds, and I'm going to feed you to the birds, and I'm going to feed you to the animals for a snack. Because David, force always wins. Shock and awe was how the Americans described it in 2003, as they bombarded the life out of Baghdad. Shock and awe is always how the world works. Seeking that those who oppose that mindset, that worldview, will simply car in fear and retreat with their tail between their legs. But look at David's response in verse 45. We've already read it, but we'll read it again and continue reading. He says, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear, with shock and awe instruments. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee, and I will take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know 
that there's a God in Israel. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Goliath, today I don't bring with me any weapons of warfare. I don't bring muscle. I don't bring stature. But I do bring my God. And today, Goliath, God is going to deliver you into my hand. And this won't be because of me. It's all going to be because of God. And you know what, Goliath? I'm going to cut your head off. And instead of giving the animals and the birds a snack, they're going to have a feast. Because you and every other Philistine is going to be found lying for them to devour. Think of the contrast that is in these words. God is going to prove that he's real. God is going to prove that he's mighty. God is going to prove that all things are under his control. And God is going to prove that although a man deviseth his way, God directeth his footsteps. Today, God will prove that faith, not force, wins the war. Did he overcome? Of course he did. Read there in the verse 50, it tells us David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling, with a stone, and smote the Philistine, slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, drew it out of the sheath thereof, and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until they come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way of Sharon, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. Surely tonight, believer, this story speaks to you. The whole of the army of Israel may have run scared, but it took one man to stand up tall, to say, I believe in God. You know, as we come to this message tonight, as we have dwelt upon it even last Tuesday evening, we come to it a little too late. For in the church of Jesus Christ, the horse is already bolted, as it were. But tonight, we still attempt to shut the stable door. Because one with God is always a majority. And if just one more individual in this meeting tonight will say in their heart that I'm going to trust God, that I'm going to choose the life of faith, that I'm going to stop scheming my way out of things, that I'm going to stop employing my own strength, my own wisdom to the situations that I face, that I'm going to trust the hand of God to guide me, the hand of God to provide for me, the hand of God to protect me, then surely we're on a better pathway than ever before. Tonight, God is not calling you to acts of faith. He's calling you to the life of faith. He doesn't desire one good decision from you. 
He, le- he desires a constant dedication to apply his word and his will in every area of your life. He's not looking for your response here in this moment. He desires your trust in every moment. Moses said to the children of Israel, The Lord, he it is that doth go before thee. He will not fail thee nor forsake thee. To Joshua, God said, I will be with thee. I will not fear thee, fail thee nor forsake thee. David said to Solomon, Be strong and of a good courage. For the Lord God, even my God, will be with thee. He will not leave thee, nor forsake thee. Jeremiah said, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions they feel not. Paul said, I know whom I have believed in, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Tonight, God encourages you. He encourages me to live the life of faith. Because faith, not force, always wins the day. The second principle that we learn from the life of David is simply this. God uses loneliness to humble a man. God uses loneliness to humble a man. You didn't expect that one. But it's true. Trevor on Sunday past mentioned about an epidemic of lovelessness in our world. But tonight I will go further. Not seeking to take away from his ministry in any capacity, but I would say that we are seeing a threefold epidemic in our world. Lustfulness, lovelessness, loneliness. Without doubt, there's a crossover and a link between all three. But nevertheless, these three things can be found everywhere. When it comes to loneliness, it's a battle which has always been existent in our world. At various instances in days gone past, it was something more amplified than in other occasions. But undoubtedly, within the last two decades, it has very sharply come into the spotlight. I wonder tonight, does the name Joy, or Joyce sorry, Vincent mean anything to anyone? Well, Joyce Vincent was someone whose death went unnoticed and her corpse undiscovered for more than two years. She lived in North London. And on the 25th of January 2006, she was discovered in a largely skeletal state. And when a search was made of her apartment and the fridge was opened, the sell-by dates were 2003. Many of you know that... As I worked in Grove Baptist in Belfast, I also worked for funeral directors. And I can remember in 2017 being called to a home in Dundonald in the middle of the night. We're called to the home of a man whose largely decomposed corpse had been discovered. 
He lived in an apartment block. And there he was as we went in, face down on his floor, only discovered because the meter man had detected a stench. Police forced entry, and again, the death was placed somewhere between 10 and 12 months previous because of food that was in the apartment. Now, notice the similarities in both of those stories. These two individuals lived surrounded by people. There were people above them, people below them, people on either side of them. But both their deaths went unnoticed. Both of these individuals were not missed. Both were all alone. This helps us to understand a proper definition of loneliness, for loneliness is not the absence of people. Loneliness is rather the absence of vital and much-needed relationships and the lack of affection experienced as a result. Now, if I was to ask you this evening to identify the demographic in which loneliness is experienced the most, I wonder what you would say. Would you agree that it's older people who experience loneliness the most? Would you agree that it's younger people, middle-aged people? Well, according to a study that was conducted in 2014 and updated pre-pandemic in 2020 and published in the Lancet Journal, 80% of under-18s identified loneliness as a real problem in their life. Only 40% of over 65s identified the same problem. What's also interesting, just for our noting down, and for information's sake, is that loneliness was higher amongst boys when they were young and higher amongst ladies when they were old. As we survey this epidemic of loneliness that is in our world today, surely then we see the breakdown as it correlates through to the generations. Young people today are consumed by lust. They embark upon lust-filled relationships, which always burn out. And that means that lustfulness soon develops into lovelessness, which results in loneliness. And our world is now caught in an endless cycle of churning out lonely individuals who have no real meaningful relationships in their lives and who experience no true affection as a result. Now, loneliness is linked to many health and many mental health issues. People who are lonely tend to have trouble sleeping. Stress is higher amongst them. Suicide is common. Many turn to alcohol, and so alcoholism is very prevalent amongst lonely individuals. Also, when it comes to older people, Alzheimer's and dementia is linked to loneliness. You have, a, you have twice the chance of developing Alzheimer's or dementia if you're lonely. 
Now, for the believer, loneliness leads to discouragement, leads to depression, leads to defeat. Now, in life, some vocations and indeed some events automatically mean an individual experiences loneliness. We would identify that men who work on oil rigs for six months of the year can find themselves lonely. Those who sail in large container ships are soldiers in war zones and, dare I even say it, pastors and ministers find themselves lonely. I remember just shortly after it was public knowledge that I was seeking to follow the Lord that a man who has since departed to glory, but pastored a church actually not too far from here, said to call around to his home one evening. And over the course of having a meal together, he said these words, if you go to pastor a church, prepare to be lonely. I pastor a church of two to three hundred people, but I have never felt loneliness like it. Many people describe me as being the CEO, but I tell you, I'm only the ever the SCO. I'm scrutinized, criticized, ostracized. We would also identify loneliness in those who have lost loved ones, especially those who lost their life's partner or, perhaps being unmarried, have lost a father and mother. And so sometimes loneliness is undoubtedly because of a person's role, their job, their vocation. Sometimes it's because of life's events. But I also submit to you that there are times when God permits loneliness. Think of Job. Think of Jeremiah. Think of Elijah, Elisha. Think of David. And in permitting loneliness in the life of his child, God has a lesson to teach his child. You'll remember that at the beginning of time, God identified that it was not good for a man to be alone. It was not good for a man to miss out on vital and much-needed relationships with others. It was not good for a man to miss out on the affection experienced as a result of those relationships. And so God said, I will make an help meet for him. And so Eve was formed. And from this came love, family, friendship, companionship, devotion, loyalty. All of which is needed by man, all of which results in a sense of confidence, contentment, completeness in the lives of human beings. God designed it to be so. He designed that our relationships would be complementary even of our lives and of the needs of our lives. That the relationships that we have, the relationships we enter into, the relationships that we enjoy, promote that confidence, promote that contentment, promote that completeness. And so, yes, loneliness comes because life chooses it for us, but many times it comes because God chooses it for us. And at such a time, removing all secondary causes, it helps us to understand that when He does, God is desiring in that moment to teach you, to teach me, that He is all that we need.
Many there have been who have sung the words of the little chorus, Christ is all I need. But as one saint of God said in days gone past, God is not really all we need until we realize that He is all that we have. And when we realize He is all that we have, then we truly find out that He is all that we need. So tonight we delve into the loneliness experienced by David. Come to chapter 21 of 1 Samuel. Verse 1, then came David to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid at the meeting of David and said unto him, Why art thou alone, and no man with thee? This passage is the immediate aftermath of Jonathan telling David that his life was in danger. This was in the immediate aftermath of the decision being made that the best course of action was to flee. And so fleeing, he finds himself in this little village of Nob. Now remember also that this was before he assumed the throne. He's already been anointed to be king over Israel, but has not yet realized his God-appointed position. He has not yet taken up that charge and responsibility of leading the nation. And so this period of loneliness that's identified here in the verse 1 of the chapter, a period deemed necessary by Almighty God was undoubtedly a this is for that moment in David's life. Do you remember that principle from last time? How that God allows something to enter in in a certain season in our lives to equip us for another season of our lives. He allows us to know His grace, His strength, and His overcoming power when we face a certain difficulty so that we are more readily able to minister and to be a blessing to others in a different situation, but a same scenario. And in this unwanted, perhaps even undeserved season of David's life, this season of loneliness, God was teaching David that life is not about one or two good decisions. Life is not about one or two great victories. Life, the Christian life, is about consistently making the right choice, consistently winning the victory, consistently living out the Christian faith in what he said, what he did, what he thought. Consistently living for God with the right attitude, the right motives, the right desires. Simply, God was teaching David the lesson that he desires us all to learn. A lesson spoken of by Micah the prophet in Micah in the chapter 6 and the verse 8, he has shown thee, O man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. David, I want you to love me with all of your heart. I want you to serve me obediently from a heart that desires to please me. I want you to realize that I am all you want. I am all you need. Tell me tonight, are you lonely? Is there a deterioration or indeed a severance of some key relationship in your life? 
that has resulted or is resulting in the loss and the absence of affection? Is it the entrance of rocky times in the workplace? Is it the desertion of a friend once always there, now nowhere to be found? Is it tension in family relationships between siblings or between parents and children? Could it be that in such a season in your life, an all-wise God, an all-knowing God is seeking to see His will fulfilled in your life, seeking to give you this so that one day you will be better equipped to face that. So you're here tonight, surrounded by people, but tonight ever so lonely. Tell me, what is God seeking to teach you about Him? What is God seeking to teach you about yourself? What is God seeking to teach you about His will for you in this season and in the days ahead? Here was David in the village of Nob, lonely, hungry, and under threat. Let's read together the, the remaining verses there up until the verse 9. And identify with me a very downward spiral that David embarks upon. David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king hath commanded me a business, and hath said unto me, Let no man know anything of the business whereabout I send thee, and what I have commanded thee, and have appointed my servants to such and such a place. Now therefore what is under thine hand? Give me five loaves of bread in mine hand, or what there is present. The priest answered David and said, There is no common bread under mine hand, but there is hallowed bread. If the young men have kept themselves at least from women, David answered the priest and said unto him, Of a truth, women have been kept from us about these three days since I came out, and the vessels of the young men are holy. And bread is in a manner common. Yea, though it were sanctified this day in the vessel. So the priest gave him hallowed bread. For there was no bread there but the showbread that was taken from before the Lord to put hot bread in the day when it was taken away. Now a certain man of the servants of Saul was there that day detained before the Lord. And his name was Doeg, an Edomite, the chiefest of the herdmen that belonged to Saul. David said unto Ahimelech, And is there not here under thine hand spear or sword? For I have neither brought my sword nor my weapons with me, because the king's business required haste. The priest said, The sword of Goliath the Philistine, whom thou slewest in the valley of Elah, behold, it is wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If thou wilt take that, take it, for there is no other save that here. And David said, There is none like that. Give it me. What have we identified as we've read down through these verses? Well, we've identified surely that David continually tells lies to preserve his cover story. Such was his desperation. Such was the spiritual depression which had set in because of this season of loneliness. He resorts to the most basic and the most basest of instincts. Self-survival. Self-preservation. 
And notice how that despite being well experienced in seeing the preserving hand of God protecting and providing for him, despite being convinced in the valley of Elah that faith not force would win the day, he seeks a weapon. Not a weapon proved in victory, but a weapon that was used by a man who was defeated. He's willing to say anything. He's willing to do anything to save his own skin. Oh, how great was the downward spiral that David was on here. How timely was the lesson that God desired to teach him. From standing before Goliath without a weapon, rather depending only on the might and the power of Almighty God, here in Nob, here in God-appointed loneliness, a time when another threat was experienced, a time when another stand must be taken, a time whenever another decision must be made. David says, give me a sword. David's journey would see God humble him. God humbled him before his enemies, namely the Philistines, as he had to act like a madman in Gath. He humbled him before his family, humbled him before his friends, humbled him before his faithful followers. Consider the story of Ziglag. But as we reflect on that, rather than looking at the blow-by-blow account, turn to Psalm 34. For in Psalm 34, you hear David's testimony of this season of loneliness that God allowed him to experience. You see how that God did a heart work, how that God did a deep work, how that God brought from the ashes, from the wreckage, and from the disaster that was evident in David's life, something which would stand him and stand him well throughout all the years to come. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encampeth round about them that fear him and delivereth them. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. O fear the Lord, ye his saints, for there is no want to them that fear him. The young lions do lack, suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, ye children, hearken unto me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord." What man is he that desireth life, loveth many days that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, the Lord heareth and delivereth him out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. Save as such as be of a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. 
He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked. They that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be lonely. Desolate, another word for loneliness in Old Testament Scripture. Tell me, would it not have been better to, that David would have realized this before he ever lied to Ahimelech? Before he ever resorted to taking the bread from off the altar, before he ever resorted from unwrapping even the very sword of Goliath from the napkin. But praise God, he learned the lesson. And just as he was about to hit rock bottom and just as he was about to strike out, God brings him to the end of himself and there in the trouble, there in the heartache, there in the absence of key relationships and thus the affection experienced therein, God reminded him, I am all you want. I am all you need. You sought me, I heard you. I delivered you from all your fears. You as the poor man cried. I as the great I am, the commander of the armies of heaven. I heard you. I saved you out of all your troubles. I am the one who is nigh unto all those who have a broken heart. I save those who be off a contrite spirit. And many may be your afflictions, David, but I, the Lord, will deliver you out of them all. None that trust in me shall be lonely. What a testimony. What a message. It's abundantly evident that David had gone from having the courage to stand up and to stand tall for the Lord to simply running for his life and availing of man-made weapons to protect him and saying anything that he thought would preserve him. So God had permitted key relationships to be dismantled in his life. God had permitted love to be absent. And all of this was to remind David that his most important relationship was not what it should be. His knowledge of love from its purest source was but a distant memory. David in chapter 21 is scheming. He's trying to make his own way. He's trying to engineer a positive outcome. He's trying to manipulate the result. But all the while God was reminding him, David, don't be so foolish. You relied upon me in times past. Why won't you rely upon me now? Everything else has changed. Everyone else is gone. You're all alone. But I've never changed. And I've never left you alone. David, I am all you want. David, I am all you need. What about you tonight? In your loneliness, as you survey a breakdown or absence of key relationships, as you mourn the lack of affection that you experience, what will be your result? What will be your testimony? Are you here tonight seeking to plot, scheme, manipulate, all to none effect? simply ever finding yourself further and further from your loving Heavenly Father, ever more and more lonely as the most important relationship in your life crumbles more and more. 
and your experience of his unending love diminishes more and more. What will be your response? What will be your testimony out of it all? Tonight, will you run to him? Tonight, will you cast all your care upon him? Tonight, you need to remind yourself of the timeless truth that loneliness is only ever spoken of in the Old Testament. Why is that, you might say? Well, come with me to Calvary. And view on an old rugged cross the darling of heaven, the only begotten dear Son of God hanging and suffering in your place and mine. Linger for a while and behold all that is ongoing. The darkness that prevails in the middle of the day, the mocking and the wagging of the finger, him he saved others, but himself he cannot save. Here the thief that's beside him mock and reel upon him, saying, if thou be the Son of God, bring thyself down off this cross and us. Save thyself and us. And then linger a little longer. And hear how through the darkness comes a cry that would melt the heart of stone as he cries, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My Father, my Father, why am I lonely? Why upon this cross do I experience the removal of a key relationship and the experience of affection I once enjoyed? Linger a little longer and hear him cry. It is finished. And believer, hear him say to you tonight, all this I have done for you. I experienced loneliness as part of my humbling work upon earth as from the very presence of my Father I was banished. There on that cross I suffered and I died alone so that you might never be alone. So that you as my child could bask forever in the New Testament truth and promise that I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That despite hardship and trial my grace will always be sufficient. My strength will always be made perfect in your weakness. No lack of love will ever be known by you, for I have loved thee, and I have loved thee with an everlasting love. No matter what you're facing, the cares and anxieties that beset, yes, even when new dangers and new threats enter in, still my promise remains. You can and you will do all things through Christ who strengthens you. 
Just like Paul, who experienced loneliness, yet through it all, he said, you can say also, no man stood by me. All forsook me. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. The Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me into his heavenly kingdom. Believer tonight, your loneliness has been permitted by God. He desires to humble you. Desires you to bring, bring you to an end of yourself. Just like David, you have known the severance of key relationships, the lack of affection. But God is desiring that you will, like David, bless him at all times. That his praise would continually be in your mouth. That just like David, you will come to your senses and realize your God is an eternal God, an immutable God, an all-wise and ever-loving God. And he is all that you want. And he is most certainly all that you need. Cast yourself upon him tonight. Trevor said to me on Sunday, I always over-prepare. I said, you're preaching to the choir. We still haven't got to number three. We'll come to it next week. Point number three is going to be there's always, there's always a time when you need to speak to the preacher. That's what David's life communicates to us. But as we end, hold fast to the one who is all you need. And remember that this God, David's God, is the same yesterday, today, and surely forever. May God bless